It's been a long, painful wait, but five million Melburnians are just six hours away from taking the first steps out of lockdown. As we go to air, the city is racing to reopen, with bars and restaurants working to swing back into action at midnight to celebrate the end of 262 days under pandemic restrictions. Welcome to the New Flesh podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Allpike and joining me as always is my good friend, Jonathan Astro. How are you? Excellent. Not as good as you, Ricky. How are you? Well, uh, I, I believe you're referencing Freedom Friday, which is coming up tomorrow for those of us living in uh, Melbourne, Victoria. Um, I don't know. I am a little bit steamed about it because it is, it's, it's, it's freedom, but it's not freedom. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've got I've got a bit to say on this topic, uh, and that's where we're going to start with uh, Melbourne's emergence out of the longest lockdown, uh, the COVID lockdown that uh, the world has seen. So uh, a couple of days ago, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews announced that lockdowns uh, were ending on Thursday night. So that was yesterday at 11.59pm uh, uh, as the state reached the milestone of 70% vaccination. But hold on to your horses, don't get too excited. Uh, so here's just a little rundown of, of the things you can now do, okay, which you can do before. So cafes, restaurants and pubs are open, but uh, only for a maximum of 20 indoors and 50 outdoors. And that's only if you're fully vaccinated. And this is regardless of the size of your establishment. So if you run a cafe, I don't know, the size of a shoebox, you can have stuff 20 people in there. And if you, uh, I don't know, if you run a restaurant the size of Walmart, still only 20 people. And also there's been, uh, just an aside to that, is there's been a bit of vaccination information contradiction that's uh, a, a couple of different uh, government organisations put out um, the information that your workers in your staff at cafes and restaurants only needed to have one vaccination uh, in order to open up this this Friday. But uh, then the government came out and said, no, 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 they need to be double vaxxed. So that's created a bit of panic amongst cafes, restaurants and pubs because they're sort of scrambling to work out. Well, if out. you've timed it wrong, like if you've timed your first shot wrong and you've got to wait four to six weeks, then what are you going to do? That's right. Yeah. Retail is limited to outdoor only. Ah, yes. Good. So, so you know, we can open the flea, the, the grand flea markets that we have here in, in Melbourne, uh, but we can't open... Uh, anything else. And that's a joke, by the way. We don't have any flea markets here in Melbourne. Um, so that's totally ridiculous. There's no such thing as outdoor retail, really. Um, I don't know. I don't know what that means. So you can have 10 people <laughs> over to your words. house. They're just saying words. They are. They're just saying words. Um, you can have 10 people over to your house as long as they're fully vaccinated. Uh, mask mandates are still in place indoors and outdoors. Uh, that, that shits me to tears. You know, seeing people like solo... People alone in their cars, driving down the road, wearing a mask. I do not understand it, you know, or walking their dog with no one in sight and they're wearing a mask. In like that, a sub, uh, deep in the suburbs. Deep in the suburbs, yeah. I, I, and, you know, I don't know. I think they're just, they just love to show people that they care, you know. Mm. I think that's what it is. Um, the curfew and the 15-kilometre radius have been lifted. So we've had a curfew, a 9 o'clock curfew that's lasted for fucking ages and we can't 
go further than 15 kilometers from our home. So those things are lifted. However, movement uh, between regional Victoria and Metro Melbourne is not allowed. So this is a strange one because people from New South Wales, so the border is open from people coming from New South Wales to Victoria. And, uh, you know, potentially you, John, could come uh, for a visit here in Victoria and you could go regionally. You could go, I don't know, to Lawn or somewhere nice on the uh, surf coast. Um, and have a bit of a holiday, but uh, we Melburnians cannot, which is really fucking strange. So that strange. Um, that's just ridiculous. People in Melbourne must still work from home if they can. Uh, there's a staggered return to school with various year groups attending two days a week and increasing until everyone's back on the 5th of November. And I believe children from years three and up are required to wear a mask at school. I'm not I think I read that somewhere, which I think is child abuse, really. Um, weddings can have 50 people outdoors and 20 indoors. And again, everyone must be fully vaccinated. And gyms are still closed. And I believe pools are still closed too. So we're, we're, we're out of lockdown, but we still have all of these, all of these restrictions that, that make life just... Um, unbearable i think uh, and dan andrews he seems to have been influenced by your man dominic perite in new south wales so perite has been aggressively opening up and saying all the right things like you know talking about personal responsibility living with the virus uh he's stopping i believe he's stopping the daily press conferences stopped the medical officers uh coming to you know to weigh in needlessly when they as he as he said we're the elected officials so. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So that's great. Um, that's that's annoyed me so much just seeing these these unelected health officials get up day after day at press conferences and and and, and scaring the shit out of you and and telling you what you can and can't do and with with, with little context. That's the big one. Yes. With with with, with no context. That's right. And we'll we'll get on to that issue in a minute because there's another development that's happened here in in Victoria. So the weird thing is like nothing's changed in Victoria. Like COVID cases have been higher than ever. Deaths are a daily occurrence. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, why Why is Andrews opening up now, you know? And obviously it's because he saw what's happening in New South Wales and he reacted, you know. This guy, he's a leader who doesn't make any decisions without running polls and focus groups first. He's reactive, not proactive. You know, He's. I think he's the worst political leader in Australia at the moment. Like, he loves wagging the finger and telling people what they can and can't do. Uh, on many occasions, especially last year, he blamed Victorian residents for outbreaks and called them selfish. Um, he's had the police force, it, it, the, the police here in Victoria enforce rules with, with you know, harsh physical force and, and with no mercy. And he's pursued a COVID zero policy since the beginning of the pandemic and believing he's the saviour of the people and believing he can keep the virus at bay with, with short, sharp snap lockdowns, which, as we know, end up dragging on for months rather than days. And What are you talking about? Is it the, the curve's flat, isn't it? It's flat. We flattened the curve. We flattened we? the curve. Yeah. Well, it took a couple of years, but we did it. We did it. Yeah. Two weeks to flatten the curve. That's right. You know, but, you know, we've, we've been through six lockdowns, you know, yes. six fucking lockdowns. It's, it's way too much, you know. And throughout the pandemic, New South Wales has had a much more measured approach. You know, they've had much fewer days in lockdown than Victoria. Uh, they've taken more overseas arrivals. Uh, but interestingly, they've had less cases and less deaths. You know, Melbourne is the most lockdown city and we're responsible for 60% of the COVID deaths in Australia, you know. And 
you got to ask yourself, why is that? You know, New South Wales has been freer and more open and taking more people. They test more as well. So, you know, you'd think that if you were testing more, you'd find more cases. But no, we still have more cases in, in Victoria, you know. And I, I refuse to believe that, you know, it's because New South Wales residents are for some reason more COVID compliant or somehow better at following the rules or more compassionate than Victorians. And I think it's all down to bad leadership and bad execution by the state government. You know, I mean, hotel quarantine was a mess. Track and trace was a mess. Uh, the vaccine rollout in Victoria has also been a mess. You know, it was impossible, almost impossible for me to book in a, a, a vaccine. I just, you know, I'd just be on hold all the time or I'd talk to someone and they'd just say, listen, we can't book you in because we don't have any doses. Like, we don't know when we're getting them. And and this is the other thing, like, the, 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 the issue of vaccination mandates is a pretty hot topic, you know, especially in the US, but, but also here a little bit, uh, even though I think, Australians are a bit more compliant when it comes to getting vaccinated. But, you know, Daniel Andrews has come out, come out recently and said that, you know, the non-vaccinated will be um, held back from opening up until well into 2022. And when he talks about it, he sort of says it with such, it's almost glee, like like he, he, he loves the fact that, that he's, you know, stopping these stupid anti-vaxxers, you know, from from getting the freedoms that us vaccinated people have you know and i know we've said this before like i think it's it's overall it's that it's the feminization of the culture here in the west you know it's it's an aversion to risk we're unable to talk about or confront death you know if this was the 1800s you'd probably you would have already lost a number of children before their third birthday you know mm. and probably a wife or two you know death used to be everywhere and and now it's it's nowhere and we're unable to balance risks and rewards. And I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding around what it actually means to live a good, meaningful life. You know, there's more to life than the avoidance of death, as our hero, Lord Sumption, often says. You know, I think there's a, there's a tacit assumption by the, the ruling class and the social elites that we can do without social interaction because we have technology and social media, you know. Um, but, but, you know, what about shared experiences, you know, both big and small, like, you know, concerts and religious gatherings or, you know, sharing meals, talking with, with actual eye contact, you know? Uh, what about physical touch? What about feeling the wind on your face, you know, instead of having it blocked by a mask or, you know, what, heaven forbid, watching a sunset, you know? I think politicians, particularly here in Australia, seem, seem to be treating these things as excesses rather than key components of being human, you know. I think it's just a tragic situation and I think we're going to, in, in the, you know, post-pandemic and post-lockdowns, I think we're going to see a lot of, we're going to hear a lot of stories of, of, you know, tragic situations, domestic violence, suicide, all of that sort of stuff is going to come to the fore and, um, you know, there's just so many issues, even elective surgeries have been cancelled once again here in Victoria, you know, to, to, to create more room for, you know, the COVID wave that's coming when we open up, you know, in our hospitals. And there's already a backlog of, I think, 15,000 people, you know, waiting to get their elective surgery. So that's people that, you know, that need a new hip, that need a new knee, that, you know, will probably live, but, but are in a lot of pain and, and they just need to hang on tight, you know, do it for the greater good, you know. What do you think about Melbourne's, Melbourne's opening up? Um, well, I think Melbourne's a disgrace. I think, um, you know, Daniel Andrews is a terrible leader. Um, you know, he's, he's totally gutted the place. Um, I don't understand what they're going to do when the focus turns to economic recovery and, 
you know, trying to bring, as you say, bring the life back to a place like Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, he's probably not the guy to do it. If you've spent all this time scolding everyone. And at one point he defended the curfew by saying, oh yeah, geez, so you won't be able to go and get milk at, at 10 o'clock at night or 11 o'clock at night. And it's like, excuse me, um, since when is it the interest of the government, uh, what I do uh, late at night or when I do it? Yeah. So that's none of your goddamn business. So so that's the sort of stuff that he reveled in, you know. And yeah, turning the cops into uh just sort of his hatchet man, demonizing everyone. Uh I think that um it, it's it's a it's bittersweet, I guess, because you know, as you say, it's freedom, but it doesn't sound like you're able to do everything. And if it wasn't for uh the New South Wales premier, uh, I don't know where, where Melbourne would be. Like, you know, like it it's taken a guy to come out and just to actually to do some things, yeah, you know what I mean, and to accept responsibility that comes with them. That's right. Peter Credlin has has named him the the Premier of Australia. You know, the de facto Premier of Australia, and I th- I think he is like he's taking he's actually taking a lead and and a stance and saying, you know what, we need to balance these risks. Like we're not just going to let it rip. You know, we're, we've had things in place for a long time. Vaccination is, you know, at a really healthy point. Like let's just let's just open this thing up. You know, and he's even he's even taking on the Prime Minister of Australia by you know pushing opening up the international borders and and, and taking people taking you know people, overseas arrivals in to Sydney as well. You know, and just on this issue, you know, of Dan Andrews and curfews and, and radius limits and stuff like that, never once has he has he shown any medical or scientific evidence that those sorts of measures make a significant impact on on slowing or, or curbing a virus. You know, if you're still socially distancing and you're, you're you know you still got the masks and all that stuff and the vaccinations rolling on and and you know, you can't go to restaurants and, you know, like you basically locked down. Like what difference does it make if you go for a walk at 11 p.m.? You know, what, what difference does that make? It's not going to impact COVID. And and what if you want to drive 25 k's out to, I don't know, like like a big bushland and go for a walk or something? Like like how oh, is that? extravagant, isn't it? It's just, you know. What, well, now you're going to tell me you want to go see your parents or like, yeah, you know, yeah. go, and, go on a date or something or I don't know, like go and just like explore or something explore mm. fuck how dare you yeah how dare you yeah. do those things but i sent you, i sent you that follow-up article which expl- which was interesting from the abc yeah which is a perspective of uh someone who's perhaps a little nervous about opening up yeah well you sent me that article this morning and that got me kind of rolled up on this whole issue too like just seeing what absolute cucks the majority of Australians are <laughs> what absolute COVID bedwetters they are. You know, here's a guy in this article who's what is he a teacher? He's he's double vaccinated. He's not you know he's not 75, and he's worried about getting the virus. You know, he's mm. concerned that they're no longer going to be publishing all the exposure sites. You know, the thousands of exposure sites. I I can't believe. Do you know I even at the height of the but I never read those. No, me neither. I've even been to some of the places and I never, I never, yeah. I never even read. I was just like, wait, I wouldn't know where to read. That's right. Yeah. Well, I've met people that check them every day. What? You know? Yes. Why? I don't know. They're just they're just rabid about it. Get on with your life. Exactly. And this is the good thing that that's come out in the last couple of days. So there is some health organisation. I, I don't, I can't recall offhand who they are, but they're forcing the government to release the documentation of the health advice that has uh, resulted in things like curfews and and the radius limit and basically all the lockdown 
uh, restrictions, basically trying to pin down what the actual evidence is and what the health advice has been that these things work and why why we've done them, you know. And I don't know if this is a, a, an Australian-specific thing or this is happening worldwide. Like, the government does not give you the health advice. They say, we're doing this, we're acting on health advice, but you never know specifically what that advice is and, and how that's justified with statistics or science or, you know, previous models or whatever, you know. You never see that stuff. And uh, I don't know why. You've got to get them in, in uh, cross-examined Senate estimates or something. You've got to get yep. them, like, on the record so that they have to, you know, to speak up, put their evidence forward. We also need better journalism, you know, like the yes. ABC. Yes. Like that article I sent you is essentially, I mean, that is just, I mean, they, they were essentially in, in bed with that guy who was, yeah. <laughs> who was yeah. worried. Well, they, they were essentially saying you need to be worried and, yes. you know, don't get too excited. This isn't Freedom Day. It's just, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. And maybe it's got something to do with the fact that, uh, and I've heard this in the UK, that, that in the UK they spent, so, the government spent, record amounts of money on advertising to push their message of restrictions and lockdowns and and all that sort of stuff and that obviously filtered through into newspapers and tv stations and you know magazines and that sort of stuff like so they're getting a lot of revenue from this from this advertising right so why would they why would they go in hard and you know, question some of these things when, you know, something like the BBC gets gets a lot of money or, you know, or, you know, independent uh, news outlets get, get or TV stations or radio stations get, get all this advertising money. Mm. Maybe it's the same here, you know, maybe, maybe the ABC gets gets a bit of money for, for for running these ads or maybe maybe seven news, nine news, like, you know, the age, the 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 Herald Sun, who knows? They, they I mean they're getting advertisements all the time for, for COVID-related stuff. So, you know, there's there's money coming in from that. Well, they're addicted to the drama as well. That's you it, know, yeah. They're obsessed with the drama. And they hated, that's why they hated the the, the press conferences coming to an end. The, the, the journos were just like, oh, 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 come on. Yeah. Because they love it. They love everyone watching them because they get, they're on prime time. We get to mm. hear them answering, asking questions like they're in the, the White House, you know? Yes, yeah. So they love all that. And and it's easy for them too. They know what they're doing every day. They rock up to the press conference. That's right. Know. They don't have to go and do investigative reporting into, into uh, you know, corruption or, yeah, branch stacking or any of that stuff. They don't have to actually go and look into, you know, gangland murders and whatever. Like they just have to go anyway, oh, there's this many cases today and yeah. three people died. And- or, or, or they say stuff like, will Halloween be cancelled this year? Yeah. Just, it's just, yeah, we need to get on with yeah. it. Need yeah, to open up crazy. and there needs to be more pressure. And look, maybe the approach needs to be just bringing back we, we, people who are risk takers, which is everyone. Like if you, if you do anything, you're a risk taker. But it's like you just need to take the power back from the bedwetters. So we need to, we need to create um, opt-out situations, not for the, like, forget the vaccine, just get vaccinated and let's all move on. But then beyond that, it's a, we should say, okay, everyone's coming back to work, but if you're a bedwetter, well, you can stay home and it's probably not going to be as good. Do you know what I yeah, mean? You're not yeah, going to get right. all the resources you want because you're staying home. Or like, we, why have we let the, the people who you know uh frightened of absolutely everything like totally take control of 
all situations. Yes. They're like, yeah. They're like, oh, well, no, I don't want any of it to happen. I want you to stay home. And you say, no, 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 we need to get back to the world where, you know, you don't get to tell people what to do. Yeah, well, that's something Lord Sumption, he argued for, you know, sort of an opt-out situation where you, if you are, you know, an an older person or in an at-risk category for for health reasons, that, that you opt out of social life you isolate and we'll take care of you you know we'll we'll ensure that you get some sort of payment if you can't work or set you up with online like organize uh you know food deliveries or whatever or you know just just make make life possible for for those people who want to lock down and for everyone else everyone else is healthy like just just you know take the risk and go out there and and live your life you know um we really have i think sacrificed the the health and well-being and education of the youth to you know stave off death for the the older and and sicker people and i know there's be loads of people out there that will think that's a really callous uh a callous viewpoint but you know this happens all the time this happens in hospitals like you know you've got one respirator left and you've got a sick five-year-old and a sick 95-year-old they give it to the five-year-old they weigh it up they go that guy's had 95 years this kid's got 90 years to go they actually make those sorts of decisions all the time oh routinely yeah absolutely like i said before we just we've we've, we're unable to have these sorts of conversations you know about what what is a a long life and and is it fair to hold back young people for the for the 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 health benefit of of older australians you know of the baby boomers who have who are the most lauded generation in the history of of mankind yeah you know they've got everything they've got they've got all the property They've got all the opportunity. They're still working. You know mm. what I mean? Like yeah. thanks to uh, uh, medical miracles, and now you know that younger generation has been doubly fucked over. You That's know? right. Yeah. Of, of of whatever opportunity they had. Well, watch this space. We'll see what happens in Victoria, and um, I just pray to the powers that be that that we don't we don't go into a seventh lockdown. Oh my god. I mean, I I, I don't know that that could ever happen. Like that. Surely, after New South Wales opening up, like you, you just couldn't go back to a lockdown. But again, you know, I mean, you just have to look at look at Andrews and his his history. You know, I wouldn't put it past past him that he would lock down. He never again. saw a lockdown he didn't like. Yeah, that's right. Well, moving on, we did want to talk about uh, a story we read in Spiked Online about uh, MPs being banned from YouTube, and this has a little connection with with COVID. Because as we've seen over the past 18 months, you know, we've witnessed an extraordinary assault on civil liberties, as we've been ranting on about for the past 20 minutes or so. Um, But, you know, governments around the world and including here in Australia have awarded themselves extraordinary powers, stripped citizens of their freedoms, you know, undermined parliamentary scrutiny and, you know, banned protests and increased surveillance. So, you know, the COVID crisis has pushed governments towards treating free speech as a second-class right, you know, and tech tech companies have been more than happy to get in on the action, you know, and to censor away. So uh, YouTube's policy quashes freedom of inquiry uh, and inhibits people's ability to have open conversations about matters of public policy now, you know, we've seen... Um, YouTube's prevented users from uploading content that contravenes the gospel truths of the World Health Organization. And uh, earlier this week, we've seen YouTube remove a speech given by veteran British MP David Davis. Uh, The speech was on vaccine passports. And, you know, in the course of his speech, uh, he opposed vaccine mandates and vaccine passports 
whilst praising the vaccine itself, you know, and soon after the video's release, YouTube took it down, uh, stating it had contravened its community standards, uh, accusing Davis of spreading medical misinformation. And this is this is really chilling, you know, if democratically elected politicians like Davis can't debate policy in public without being subject to big tech censorship, you know, then, then no one's safe. And Overall, MPs don't seem to give a shit about tech censorship. Not really, you know, as long as it enables them to clamp down on misinformation, you know, they're, they're cool with it, you know. And I think this approach reveals how little politicians and tech companies think of what, what ought to be a fundamental right. You know, this guy Davis, he, he, he's not opposed to vaccines. He's just looking at it from a political perspective. You know, should we have vaccine passports? You know, should the vaccine be mandated? These are not, these are not scientific questions these are not medical questions because you know obviously if, if you wanted to stop the spread of corona full stop you would you would weld everyone shut in their houses CCP. for a couple of years like the ccp do you know i mean you could do that but you know do you want to do that i'm not i'm not certain that i like it and um, it sounds it sounds effective it sounds a bit extreme yeah <laughs> so this is the 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 intersection between science public health and and politics you know i mean you've always got to weigh stuff up there's always pros and cons and risks and benefits and to to everything in life you know we could stop all the road deaths in the world if we just banned people from driving cars but we've decided that we're going to live with a certain amount of of death so that we can live a particular life where we can travel distances for work for recreation for holidays I think you you know YouTube has really over this COVID period has really shown that um, shit is getting getting out of hand. You know, I mean, we we talked about Brett Weinstein in a couple of a couple of podcasts ago, uh, and about his exploring of all you know sort of alternative medicines for the treatment of of COVID, and you know he got completely slammed. And and he's a guy that's a scientist, and he'd be be fully. Um, open to uh, inquiry and, and, you know, if something doesn't work or if a scientific theory doesn't work, he, you know, he'd be the first to, to throw it aside, you know. Um, and we've seen on that, you know, on that Brett Weinstein case, and I won't mention the drug that, that he's advocating for because, you know, we could get banned, but I do know that India and Japan have had huge success using this particular drug, um, as has uh, everyone's favourite podcaster, Joe Rogan. Um, who who got got the COVID, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. So, yeah, I don't know. Wh- where do we go from here, you know? It's not just extremist material being censored here. It's just, you know, it's, it's people talking about policy and politics, you know. But those misinformation tags are, or like the those little uh, warnings and labels that appear on, you know, YouTube and Instagram and everything, like just on, on every fucking post. Yeah. I mean... Do, at, the, at this point, when that appeared, who's clicking on that? Like, as in, don't, isn't it just wallpaper now? Like, you just mm. see those things and you go, oh, well, like, um, you know, like, I, I've stopped seeing it. It happens so often. Yes, yeah. Well, you could post something on Instagram. You, you could just post the word COVID as a picture, like just that word. And underneath would be a link that they they slap onto the bottom of it that will take you to some COVID information vaccine place, you know, it's, it's fucking ludicrous. Because like, what, what is it? They're, they're they're sort of struggling with their role, aren't they? Mm. Like, are they, you know, aren't you just a big, bad 
Silicon Valley corporation that's like got shareholders and, you know, you swallow up other companies and you're, you, you, you want to make money. Like, isn't that what you do? Hmm. So why are you acting like you care about, um, I don't know, like COVID and stuff like, yeah. and or is that your role to do that, to keep me out of trouble and to stop me being lied to? Like, mm. I don't know if I like these platforms, you know, d- diving into the, the, the finer point of what's real and what's not like, you know, t- too much. Mm. I think that's up to us to decide. And I know some people say, Oh, it's, you know, it's getting powerful and everything's go well, I know, but it can't be their role. Like we need to figure out another way to become literate about, about this stuff. Yeah. Because you know, ultimately, we need we need there to be more platforms. We need, I mean, maybe we need what they've been talking about, which is to get into to make it blockchain. You know, to, to, so that um, you know, you take the power. What if you follow the the process down, like um, because the arguments are, oh, just make your own platform, and you go, okay, well, I will. I'll make Parler. So you make Parler, and then uh, the same powers that be all collude and say. You know, they like PayPal kicks you off. Um, uh, Amazon's server farm kicks you off. Yeah, you know what I mean. Apple kicks you off. So ultimately, if you follow it down the rabbit hole, it all leads to the same place where these companies, if they don't want you, if they don't like you, if they don't like something you're saying, you're gone. Mm. You know, it, it, explain how blockchain would help there. Well, apparently, look, I'm no expert on it, but. You know, it's a way of because I think um the Dark uh, Horse podcast is is on a platform that uses blockchain now. I think and the idea is that it's sort of somehow it wrests power from uh, these these companies and put makes it more a bit like you know they talk about in that show Silicon Valley a bit more open source sort of free internet style like you know um, so. I've just heard it being mentioned as as a way out of of getting you know breaking free of because you can't have a, a total market capture of like you know so the only way you can do it is to is to have your data stored on on Amazon's server farm you know have your app sold on either Android or Apple and then to get your money through your PayPal or some other bank or whatever and you go okay well we need to we need to change up the whole system yeah, yeah. so that um. Because at the moment, I guess people can put pressure on any one of those those pinch points. People can pressure PayPal and say, "Okay, you're funding Alex Jones or whatever. You know, stop doing that." And then they go, "Okay," and then or they, they say, you know, and eventually, if you still if you find someone else to pay for your thing, then they'll that then group of people will get together and say, um, you know, to Amazon, "Oh, you need to get these people off your servers." Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's too many. Uh, big businesses that are all colluding to get this outcome that we've got right now. That's why we get these absurd situations where unless you are the biggest person in the, on the, in the, in the world, unless you've got, even then it, 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 they get into trouble, but unless you're the biggest person in the world, you just erased, you're just, you just got no leg to stand on, you know? Um, and the, and the, and their guidelines are so um, vague in general. Yeah, they may mean whatever they want them to mean. They mean they mean whatever they say. They're just like, oh yeah, today it means this, you know. Mm. Even when there's open contradictions about COVID or whatever, you know, like you could have, like all that Fauci stuff where he he did his noble lying and and whatever. I'm I'm sure that uh, they haven't gone back to all the old videos and said, you know, ch- and gotten rid of those or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Well, maybe one of the solutions or maybe a start would be to to break it up so. Uh, one company couldn't be involved in the whole ch- whole chain, you know. So, so YouTube couldn't own the servers that the content is on, or 
you know, and then uh, they they couldn't own, say, the the platform where where you where you download the apps from or something like that, you know. Well, you can't just and and you can't like tell people like they ultimately they're controlling what it means to be part of public life now. Yeah. So you know, I'd like to go back to a world where we didn't have. <laughs> social media and that it wasn't part of our life and that you didn't you, you didn't have to interact with the way that we do now but mm. unfortunately that's where we're at and if you say oh well you don't have to do that you, you you don't have to be part of our platform like like youtube goes oh well you don't have to be on our platform you go well where am i going to go bro yeah that's right where yeah. am i what am i going to do you are erasing me from you're the you are the only uh game in town mm. so it's disingenuous to say just go somewhere else yeah daily motion yeah oh. So terrible. <laughs> so good. <laughs> no, it is no good. Even even Vimeo is not is not great. Well, Vimeo, we've used Vimeo uh, for our. But there's just something about it. Like I do like the interface and stuff, but it's I don't know, just people it's just aren't got into friction. It. Like yeah. you know, you don't feel it's not as addictive. Yes. You know? Yeah. And that it, that and uh, YouTube is lightweight and, and addictive. So. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we've had some pretty heavy topics. I think uh, we better move on. I need the real news. Yeah, bring it on. Sheila, you're back for the news. I am. I believe you've got some uh, some sports news on on the cards today. I do. It happened by accident. I never go to the Daily Mail sports section because um, it looks silly to me. But um, that looks well, silly. That's yeah. silly. Everything <laughs> yeah. else is fine. Perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs> None of it's fine. I think the writers at DM know that. Um, okay, so here's the headline. Anti-racism groups urge Newcastle fans to ditch culturally insensitive Saudi Arabia fancy dress in tribute to the new owners after dozens don homemade kefirs. <laughs> now, now, when we say homemade kefirs, um, I've seen the footage and it appears to be tea towels with rope around their heads. But well, th- this is uh, these images are, are quite striking. Um, they're all burly, burly white English guys. <laughs> yes, and uh, but the thing about that, look, there's there's a, a bit going on. So, firstly, I love I love the word fancy dress. <laughs> Don't you? Fancy dress. Like imagine imagine someone saying you're being really culturally insensitive. Um, you know, take this fancy dress seriously. <laughs> you know, like come on, do it properly. I, I, I like that we're doing this story like in Halloween month as well. Yes. Well, no, but do you remember um on the the Australian late show uh, many years ago, the degeneration, they they used to they did a tea towel bit. So mm. was it Yasser Arafat? Yasser Arafat. Yeah, yeah, they did Yasser Arafat a lot. And mm. then there, a guy would just come in from the side and use his headdress to to dry a, a dry dish. dishes. Dry dishes. <laughs> that was. Oh how come God. those guys haven't been cancelled? <laughs> uh, I look. I don't know. Um, but the thing is about this, and you guys have seen the pictures. It's a really hard one because. The the fans at this football club, they, I really don't feel they're doing this out of um, try, trying to be offensive in any way. I think they're doing it um, to honour the new uh, owners. Mm. Um, and it's it's really tough because, the you know, there's a lot of um, organisations who want them to educate 
the the fans, but I think the fans are just trying to show their appreciation yeah. to the new owners. I mean, you know. I also think that maybe we should send the equality and inclusion um, team over to Saudi Arabia and they could maybe have a look into um, the treatment of women mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. in, in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know what it's... I mean? Let's be, why, that, why is that controversial to say that Saudi Arabia has absolutely appalling human rights. <laughs> mm. Well, one of one of I mean the comments section if anyone wants some um references uh, is on fire as you can imagine. Yeah. Um but one person did say okay then um then they're not allowed to wear suits. Mm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that so, never wins, though. That argument never wins. <laughs> oh, you're not allowed to wear suits. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a tough one, but, I mean, the fans do look very, like, they look. Smart. No, they look so, you know, like they're having a celebration and they, they're very appreciative. But they, anyway, they do look like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, and but not at someone else's expense. It looks like they're. I don't know. To me, I think they're trying to say thank you for rescuing our club. I don't, I don't know enough about football, but I, I've, uh, from what I can gather, the club is now sort of awash with cash and it's going to mm. sort of help the club out. So anyway, yeah. on to the next thing. Um, we have next off the production line, um, Columbia sterilises drug lord Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. Cocaine hippos. Yes, um, he uh, Escobar um, had a private zoo, and he had two males and a female hippo, um, and all of the other. When he was killed, all the other animals from the zoo were confiscated, but uh, authorities couldn't be bothered to get rid of hippos because it was too hard and they just left them. So apparently they thrived in the the pond, the man-made pond, and then they bred profusely and they broke out of there and they got into the waterways and now they're in plague proportions. Uh, They're the biggest uh, group of them outside of Africa. And there's been such environmental destruction that uh, they've now they now have had to sterilise some of them. That's terrible. Presumably, <laughs> uh, that's amazing though. Are not germane to Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> and and apparently they've got very acidic wee that's to, that's um, poisoning the, the the drinking water. <laughs> oh, shit. And um, that but. Locals are protecting them because they're making money out of doing tours and selling hippo um, paraphernalia to tour to tourists. Are they leaning into them being coke hippos? Yeah, they've lent into them completely. So they're protecting them. They were supposed to be culled and um, the locals protected them, even though they're aggressively territorial and, um, uh, you know, wrecking the place. What, what would be good is if they set up, a, a sanctuary for animals, uh, a, a, that'd be a big tourist attraction for people to go to Escobar Zoo. And, you know, I, I know that, that they probably wouldn't like Escobar's name on it, but it would bring in a lot of tourist do- dollars and, and, and save all these animals too, you know. I know. I think the other animals were killed. I'm not sure. But uh, the, the hippos uh, have, um, have gone all right. 
Um, okay, next up, cocaine crisis in the elderly. NHS is treating patients as old as 90 with mental health issues due to extreme use of Class A's, while number of over 60s in hospital soars 500% in a decade. But doesn't that just mean, if I'm reading it correctly, isn't it that, is it just old coke pigs getting old? Or is it like experts say better care has resulted in a cohort of drug users living to old age? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah, so it's like eighties coke hounds. Yeah, Mm. so they're they're just they're just retired, and and now we're like, oh, you know, these old people are on drugs. Like, yeah, but they always were. They're just old. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, that's terrible. And coke, what a dumb drug! Like, (laughs) so expensive. Um, like they don't have to do it all day. (laughs) You know, like. It's it's not you know, and we, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't have a lot of the extravagant, ridiculous '80s music without Coke or movies. You know, that's true. That is true. Um, I think it was a, it was uh, in large quantities back then, and, mm. and probably you know, but um, yeah. Anyway, that's terrible. Uh, this is in the UK, is it? Yep. Mm. Okay. Next, anger grows over the activist. The worst idea ever. For a reality television show. Oh, uh, yes. Wow. Yes. I know Tell me, t- I, I want to know more. Tell uh, me more. Well, it's a new competition pitting social change warriors against each other, judged by an R&B singer and two actors. <laughs> of course. Is, is one of the actors like uh, DiCaprio or? No way. He's not woke. No? Is he not woke? No. Oh, he- I can Not hang on. Really. I can I can give you a, a summary of it. Similar in style to The Apprentice, six activists from around the world will compete in a series of challenges and events to create the most social media buzz. And an overall winner will attend the G20 summit in Rome to meet with world leaders. All right. No, I want you to know that this is there's a happy end to this story. It was a failure. And um it was it was going to be a like a series, but then they they it was terror like something it, it was just it didn't work, and so they turned it into a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Anytime this, this, this could be an failed. amazing satire. I know, but that they it, it's not. It's real. That those people are all like, this is great. We love it. Wow. You know. So yeah, no, it is terrible. But then again, actually. Uh, the the end stage of any any good movement is a reality show. So, like you know, any movement, and that's the end. Like when it's over, you know what I mean. So once it's like like imagine that if it was like Me Too the show, and one of the one of the weeks it's like who has to knit the best pussy hat, <laughs> you know, like the, the movement's over, it's dead, it's over. Like or if there was like yeah, like like you you're in a basketball court or something, and you've got and there's there's like a guy in a Harvey Weinstein mask, and you've got to run away from him. It's like Chasey, like you know, like Weinstein Weinstein Chasey, you know. <laughs> so it's over once that once we're doing that, it's over. Like the movement's dead. Whatever it was is over. So the activists, bring it on. Make it five seasons, ten seasons, twenty seasons, like Survivor, and 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 um, that's when it's getting really exciting. It's like capitalism always wins, you know. Mm. (laughs) moving on indian woman has her first child at aged 70 one of the world's oldest new mothers after she and husband 75 conceive a son through ivf okay um 
Is that what IVF is 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 for? Yes. Yes. To make your dreams come true. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. At, at any 70, age. At seventy. Wow. I mean, heaven forbid that child should have a um, a parent past ten. <laughs> <laughs> past five. Past five. Fucking hell. Yes. They they must be cashed up though, so they, they they'd probably be plugged into fairly good healthcare. I don't that, know. That's the only way you get healthcare in India is if you if you're cashed up, you know. Really? Well, I I would think that IVF itself would be quite expensive. Mm. Mm. Well, oh. yeah. Now, look, it's not good. Uh, yeah, I think. It, is there anyone who hears these stories, like that story, and says, "Oh, that's so beautiful"? Like, is there anyone in the world who hears that and says it's beautiful? Mm. Or does everyone sort of go, "Look, I don't really think it's fair on the kid," and you know, it's maybe you've had your day at the beach and the rest of it. Mm. You know? Have they had kids prior? No. This is right. their first. Right. Why, why don't they adopt? That's the other thing. Like, I'm sure there's heaps of kids out there around the world that mm. could benefit from, you know, a loving family. Like, you could have adopted them fucking 30 years ago. I know. I know. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Um, this is the headline. Is that you, ye? Kanye in bizarre prosthetic Caucasian mask with eye makeup for New York City meeting with disgraced ex-Trump lawyer Michael Cohen after changing his name to Ye. I knew this story was going to come across your desk. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a picture of the mask. It's ridiculous. He looks like a mannequin. Yes. The mask, because I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, my God, it's Kanye. Yeah, no, Hashtag it's white face. It's ye. It's ye. Just get it right, okay? Oh, God. Why, why does he have a, a, an Asian influence name? No, it's ye, is it? Or is it ye? ye? I don't know. Is ye? it? Isn't the whole isn't point it, Kanye, Kanye? Yeah. Right. Okay. It's not ye. No, it's in President Ye. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Actually, he should have changed his name to President Ye with a Y. Everyone knows President Ye. That would be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> is is he still running for for president in twenty twenty four? Okay, he might as well. Yeah, he's so they've divorced now, have they? Him and his missus. Are you asking me? Yeah, well, well, isn't it across? You know, is it, yeah, it's it, yeah, it is. But I thought you might be asking Ricky. Ricky uh, doesn't you know. know. <laughs> I don't know. What do I know? Oh, I don't ask him about Kanye West. No, so yeah, uh, no, they're. I think they're in the process of divorce. Oh, okay. But so. he did make her wear a wedding dress to his Donda um, listening. Listening, to yeah, which I felt was a bit strange when they're in the middle amidst a divorce. But you know, that's that's all right. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, who would have thought that like that Kim would be the one you'd you'd be like, oh, geez, get away, Kim. You know, like mm. she's she's reprehensible. But like in this instance, you sort of like you know, don't go down with him. You know. <laughs> well, well, sales of of his uh, clothing line would um, argue that point. He's not going anywhere. Certainly not down. Ah, uh, he's popular. Well, his clothes are. <laughs> Get back to music, Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. So next up, we have what. Was she doing with her legs? Kremlin run TV claims US TV interviewer positioned herself as a sex object to distract Putin when she quizzed the president about Europe gas crisis. I, I feel like I've heard this story before. Yeah. This this happened in reverse to Trump, didn't it? 
Yeah, with I think mm. uh, was it with a Russian um, interviewer. Yeah, uh, she was a salsa dancer, right? So is this crumpet wars? It, like- yeah, this is just putting <laughs> putting hot hot biatches in front of powerful men and trying to distract them. Wonderful. <laughs> that is, it is like a carry on film, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. I love the crumpet wars. This this should be a segment. <laughs> you know, we should return to the crumpet wars from time to time. Well, Boris, it wouldn't work with Boris because he'd probably end up racing them off. Like and just having a kid with him quickly, and you know, mm. well, hasn't he hasn't he married some really young bird? Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's quite prolific. You'll find right. Carrie. I don't mm. know Carrie's last name. I don't. I don't know Johnson. Either. Well, it is now. I suppose. I suppose. I don't know. But yes, um, she she does look a lot younger when you know at those lineups, the the G twenty summits and stuff with all the the wives and husbands. You know. Oh, sorry, first blokes and the, the first, first blokes. First blokes. Mm. Yeah, maskless, yeah. of course. I think there's only one first bloke, isn't there, at the moment? Jacinda Ardern's oh, husband. Oh, what about what about they, Merkel? Does Merkel does have a husband? Does she have a husband? Or does she have a wife? I don't Oh, <laughs> um, Well, she might. I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. It looks like I she might. <laughs> no. So we didn't, we'd know <laughs> We know if she was lesbian. Well, Ca- Carrie Lamb would have a first bloke, surely. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Next up, surgeons successfully transplant a pig kidney into a human, marking a significant step in the decades-long quest to use human organs for life-saving transplants. Wait a minute. D- I'm getting the order mixed up in my head. So we're using pigs st- in uh, organs in humans, yeah? Well, we're not putting human kidneys in pigs. I thought, no, I got it mixed up for a second. I was like, that sounds extravagant. What? What do you mean? Oh, yeah, no, uh, pig kidney into a human. Mm, yeah. I know I know the Chinese like their pork, but, you know, like, like stealing kidneys from Uyghurs and putting them in pigs, like that's next level. Oh, you're going to pay for that. <laughs> you're going to get you're going to get banned, shadow banned. No, well that's good. that's good. Like you know, I'm, we're saving people, but I mean, you know, there's a horror movie in this. You know, someone gets a pig kidney and then turns into some weird pig man, pig killer. You know, man, just Harvey oh. Weinstein, or just a, just a nose. just a, a boss who fills you up in the copy room. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> plenty of pig men walking around. Um, I just feel really sorry. Once again, pigs who are smarter than dogs are getting shivved again, you That's know. True. Poor pigs. All yeah. it's always pigs getting the fucking short end, you know. They, they need to find a higher purpose for pigs, you know. At the moment, their their only purpose is food. Yeah, well. Look, I don't want to get too much into it because it's probably not, you know, uh, but I have read that the way they behave, the things that we pumped up about them, uh, they don't um, actually do when they're in their natural habitat. Like all the gross stuff they do Mm. is when you put them like, you know, like cheek by jowl in captivity and, and treat them like that. But like they're actually really smart. They do all sorts of things like in the wild that are really, really cool. Like, um, Leading leading uh, people away from their their food and stuff like like tricking, doing decoys and shit. Yes. Like they're really we're really clever. They are really clever, and I just am a bit upset that now they're going to be used like you know something from the island, the movie, the island. Michael Bay's the island. 
Yeah, mm. Michael Bay is the island. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, all right, lastly, um, I've got a headline. It's called Insulting. Aussie singer banned in China after releasing controversial song. Now, this song is supposed to be uh, apparently a love song, but it's called Fragile. Um, and China has banned it and said it's an insult to Chinese people. Is it though? Um, uh, they, you know, apparently, aren't they being fragile? By- about, yeah, well, apparently it's a love song, but there's a few things in it that tip you off it might be something else. Um, there's a panda cooking a dog in a pot. Um, and one of the lyrics is desiring for dogs, cats, bats, and, and chivets or civets. Um, it's also, there's also a line saying it's, it's illegal to breach the firewall. You'll be missed if the poo discovers it. Oh, we need the poo. I get it. Yes. Um, it sounds like a documentary to me. This, the singers referenced forced labor and detention camps. Um, this, uh, this song's got some complex stuff in it. It also sounds a bit like um, rough and ready. Did, was it rocketing up the charts or? It is going gangbusters. Really? It's going, yes. It's because um, it's the number one song in Taiwan. Oh, uh, yes. Um, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> the, it's a big fuck you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, another line. Oh, I hear a sound. Fragile self-esteem has broken into pieces. It's okay. I still have IG and Facebook. <laughs> That's great. That's good. We've, no, we've this... talked about this on previous podcasts that, you know, where are all the all the movies that are exploring China as as the villains, you know, and, and yeah. maybe maybe music is filling that void. Or maybe it should. The uh, well, I'll just give them a um a shout out. Their names are hang on, okay, Australian singer Kimberly Chen and Malaysian rapper Namawe Um, and their song is called Fragile. For anyone who would like to look that up, and apparently, I mean, I looked at the comments under this. People love it, and they said it's quite catchy, and that the video is wonderful. Great. I'm going to get all over it. Like, like honestly, like, like um, I guess music is, is the only outlet, one of the only outlets you've got because the moment that you have to deal with large corporate structures, which China has all but captured, uh, yes. Hollywood and, and NBA, NBA. TV, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So you can't get it out there. Whereas this is just, you could write something in your bedroom and then produce it and then just go, here we go. Check it out. Yeah. It's a love song. All right, guys, that's what I got. Great. Excellent, Sheila. You you, you pulled me out of the doldrums. <laughs> oh, good. All right. All right. See you guys. Bye. If you enjoy what we do here on the New Flesh podcast, there are a number of ways you can contribute to the success of the show. Consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon member and donating monthly or yearly. Alternatively, you can donate money through the Buy Me A Copy platform. If you're strapped for cash at the moment, there are other ways to support The New Flesh. You can give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. These really do help others find our show and help spread the word. Or you can just simply tell your friends about us. Back to the show. All right, good stuff. That was another news flash. Now, John, you've got something uh, cool to talk about. Oh, i got a delicious story for you. Okay, now this has been everywhere, but I think we've got some angles that people maybe haven't covered. So, in short... 
Um, there's a author called Carmen Mola, uh, who wrote a trilogy of detective popular detective novels featuring a strong female protagonist, uh, a female police police inspector who, and this is a quote, who loves grappa, karaoke, classic cars, and sex in SUVs. So Carmen Mola wrote these three books, very very uh, successful, I'm to believe. Now it turns out uh, we have discovered that. Carmen Mola is a pseudonym for three Spanish television scriptwriters: Jorge Diaz, uh, Augustin Martinez, and Antonio Mercero. And uh, these three guys are in their 40s and 50s. Recently, they won uh, a prize, uh, a million euro prize in prize money uh, at the Planeta uh, Prize uh, just last week, I think for a new unpublished thriller uh, separate from their detective character that they that they that I mentioned a second ago this is a a different novel unpublished manuscript but still they submitted it to planeta prize they won a million euro they unmasked themselves for the first time at this uh, at this gala in in front of spanish royalty no less mm. uh, most news outlets have printed this story the same but there's there's um, you know, there's a little bit of intersectional mayo from some of the usual suspects, as you. So imagine. they walked out on stage. Everyone anticipated a woman to come up. Correct. Yes, I've left that out because Carmen Mola obviously is a female-sounding name. Yeah. And this this award this was an award for female writers. Is that correct? That's not quite true. Um, in the, now this that because maybe that's why this story hasn't. Uh, had the cut through. I thought it would. So, it's it is the, the second richest prize in the world. So it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Mm. Um, anyone can enter, but the criticism has come from them. Uh, from you know, there's a feminist who has said, for instance, that um, what has she said here? Beatrice Gimeno, a feminist writer, uh, former head of one of Spain's national equality bodies. Equality. Oh, I like that. Not equity. The Women's Institute attacked the men for creating a female persona in their publicity for Carmen Moller books over several years. Uh, quote, quite apart from using a female pseudonym, these guys have spent years doing interviews. It's not, it's not just the name, it's the fake profile that they've used to take in readers and journalists. They're scammers, uh, close quote. So obviously, you know, some people on the on the on the to the right side have said. You know, finally, what we always knew, <laughs> men are the best, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and then people on the left, I guess, of saying, "Oh, you know, that's not quite fair." You know that they've they've you know lied to do blah blah mm. blah. But it's a, such a strange story. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Well, I've I've got an interesting quote here. Uh, it says, uh, "Last year, a regional branch of the Women's Institute recommended one of Moller's works as part of a selection of books by female authors, including Margaret Atwood." that could help us understand the reality and experiences of women in different periods of history and contribute to raising awareness about rights and freedoms. Great. I, I see no reason why that statement can't still hold true. Mm. Like, yes. do you know what I mean? But, but a lot of people will say, you know, they've been, they've been duped. Like, you know, how, how is it that, you know, three men would know anything about the female experience, you know? Well, I'd I'd say you know the awkward thing about these unmaskings and stuff like that, like that that statement. The awkward thing about that is it's um because if you come out and say 
Oh, oh, wait a minute. It doesn't say anything good about women. It doesn't say anything useful about the female experience or whatever. Then you're sort of saying more about yourself than you are about the work, aren't mm. you? Because you're saying that, you know, you're an ideologue that you don't stand by what you said. You should have the courage to stand stand your ground and say, you know what? Um, uh, the, these 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 men, for whatever reason, um, uh, they got it right this time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So, look, it's a it's a strange story because um, there's no heat behind this story. What I've read in in that maybe because it's Spain. Do you know what I mean? Like, if this was America, yes. holy shit. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Like, yep. something about the European angle has caused this to be less sticky. Yeah. Well, I think think Europeans, Spanish, French. Uh, you know, not won't count count the UK in this, but they're they're far less woke. And 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 they're far more into uh, the recognition of the differences between men and women and stuff like that, you know. So well, the guys also seem wonderfully oblivious, oblivious too. Like they've denied that because um, the issue here is that three three men have written a successful a bunch of successful novels and won this big prize using a female name to help themselves along, but they deny this. They said they used a name, a pseudonym, but they didn't. They didn't. Uh, necessarily focus on it being a woman. It could have been a man, you know what I mean? But that, that's something I deny. But they've also said, like, you know, just the, the sort of blithe, their blithe comments, the way they're just sort of like, they're smiling and they're just like, oh, yes, we thought, you know, uh, it's time to come out and blah, blah. Like, they're not they're not letting it get them down, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're just pushing well, on. Well, they're, they're on top of the world. Like, not only do they have, like, a, like a successful book, franchise i guess um but they've also taken out this top prize and they've walked away with a million euros you know which is about 1.5 million uh australian or us no it must be australian so look it's a fascinating story um i want to know look the i feel that the usual blowhards out there on the left aren't doing their jobs here mm. like Penguin Random House are the publisher for these three guys that the trilogy that they did of the detective mm-hmm. right um, where where's the walkouts? Where's the strikes? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, why have they just like what I don't understand? If you're a hot under the collar wokester, why do you get hot about some stuff and not about other stuff? Like, why mm. do you go, I hate Jordan Peterson and that's terrible, but these what these three guys did is 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 perfectly fine. I don't get that. Yeah, like, yeah. aren't you? Isn't it your job to be a wokester twenty four seven? Like, shouldn't you be coming in saying, okay, today it's Tuesday. 9 a.m. We walk out for these guys. Oh, 2 p.m. Uh, we've got to walk out for. Um, we also, I think, you know, I just realized we still, we also sell mine comps. So we're going to walk out for that. You know what I mean? Like again, I think it's because the U.S. doesn't really give a shit about any other country. You know. Yes. I mean that they don't care what happens in Spain. They don't care what happens at you know Spanish literature. Like, you know. Why would they care about that? I must say, Europe. My experiences in Europe. It was it was a shock to see how loose Europe was, and and a lot lot less. Like Barcelona, they don't care about all this woke stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't. They don't. They're just not leaning into it. So, it really is an American export. That's right. Yeah. But what's interesting about this case is it, it is it sort of crosses along the culture cultural appropriation 
mindset, you know, um, because, you know, you're borrowing uh, experiences from, uh, you know, other people to exploit in your novels, you know. You know, we've seen examples recently of, of, of you know, people being just hounded about cultural pro- appropriation in, in really ludicrous situations like, you know, I've got a few examples here in at, at the American Music Awards in 2013. Katy Perry got in, you know, got into a lot of hot water for dressing like a geisha. Uh, at the University of Ottawa in Canada, a yoga teacher was shamed into suspending her class because yoga originally comes from India. Yeah. Um, she offered to retitle the course Mindful Stretching. <laughs> then you've Don't got, do that. I know, <laughs> students at uh, Oberlin College in, in Iowa. No, sorry, in Ohio. They uh, they protested culturally appropriate food like sushi in their dining hall, so they didn't want to have sushi. And I think we talked about this a long time ago, you and I personally, about a museum in the US that gave out kimonos for people to wear while they walked through a Japanese-themed exhibition. And mm. there were massive protests the next day from worksters out the front. And then a day after that, there were massive protests by... Japanese people who were in support of people wearing the kimono because they love the kimono and they love yeah. to see as many people in it as possible, you know. Yeah. So, but this story highlights the absurdity of the notion of lived experience. Yes, yeah. As as a dogma in fiction writing. Yeah. Lived experience is sometimes necessary, you know, for writing, but not always. And that's awkward. Do you know what I mean? Unfortunately, this is this is make believe, you know. So, look, firstly, because I mean, the the Guardian then you know dove in, like tried to make some connection in uh, one of the other articles that, that you sent me about um, you know Indigenous Australia and all of that. Now that that is uh, I think an extreme position to jump straight to that. It's a very specialised case as well. I think that if you look, basically if you're going to sing a song that isn't yours, you better sing it with feeling and do your research. You know what I mean, like. We don't want stereotypes or half-baked stuff. And if you really want to, if, you, if you're doing something where the, you're really diving into someone's culture, mm. you know, you really should know what you're talking about. But do, do you think there's a severe lack of understanding over the, the, about the process of writing? Absolutely. Writers don't just sit down and go, oh, I'm going I'm to write about, you know, a 12-year-old Nigerian girl, you know, that, they, that there's actually a lot of research that goes into even, even writing fiction, you know, because you've got you've to place your fiction in a particular time and place. So you, you have to research that. Absolutely. No, this stuff is always uh, usually um, complained about by highly uncreative people. And it's a miracle that anything gets written at all. And... Uh, most people who are writing something are doing it from a good, uh, I think, are doing it with good intention uh, and in good faith and are trying their best. Mm. And look, it's all about risk as well. And if you're going to, um, you know, make some bold moves, like, you know, uh, I'm not sure what, for instance, Tom Thomas Keneally's background is, but, you know, would we let him do Schindler's List Um today fully i don't i don't don't know i mean actually i'm embarrassed i should probably look up (laughs) i don't know if tom's clearly is has has connections there or not but like um so please correct me uh, if if that's the case but it's one of those things like oh actually wait a minute he did chant of jimmy blacksmith too so i definitely definitely wouldn't be doing that i don't care what his excuse is today do you know what i mean like you'd be like no 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 you don't get to do that so anyway it's um uh the myth is that you need to be the thing to write the thing. Yeah. Isn't it? 
you know? Mm. So, you know, could a white guy from the suburbs write Zadie Smith? I don't know. Probably not. Maybe. But it's not exact. It's an, it's not an exact science, you know. We're, we're dealing with the imagination, make believe, you know. And the rule is, if you can trick us into believing, what does it matter, you know? Like yeah. if it, if it has the ring of truth, or if it is, if it feels, um, you must have had the experience where you've read or seen something, you know, from someone who doesn't come from your your back, background at all, and and they've managed to nail you, like like Wake and Fright, you know, directed by Ted Kotcheff, where I felt like, you know, the person who directed that movie could could must be the most Australian person ever, but it's Canadian. Yeah. Well, in that case, I think it takes someone who is an outsider to really see what the culture's like in Australia. And for those who haven't seen Wake and Fright, everyone should see it. It's the greatest Australian film ever made. But it's a, it's a, it's a big critique on drinking culture in Australia. And I think it's still relevant today, you know, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to get off the beat, beaten path here and start talking about Australia's drinking culture, but, you know, not a lot's changed since 1971, you know. Totally. The other thing that gets bandied around a lot is this idea that you have to take special care when writing someone else's culture or, or writing someone else's experience. You know, you need to represent those characters um, and be sensitive and mindful. And I don't know what any of that means, though. Or, or to get permission. That's the other thing. Yes. Like you which... need to seek permission, like this idea that you would want to write a story about, let's say you have a trans character and you're not trans and you have to go out to the trans community and somehow, you know, get signatures or, no, or no, get no, some no. organisation. You, you, you're you know. behind the times. This, there, 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 there are, um, there's a whole industrial complex around this, uh, this work, work, the work industrial con- complex. So uh, you have to get um, consultants uh, and sensitivity readers. So sensitivity readers would have, would be in publishing. Uh, they're, they're, they're people from said communities that you send the work to. And then basically, you know, they don't, they don't tell you how to fix plot holes or logic or anything like that. They really just are there to deconstruct, to destroy, uh, you know, and it may be best case scenario. Yeah. Add some, uh, um, you know, give you some things to think about and maybe they can give you some cultural insights, but they're not, you, you know, they're not your editor. They're not going to help you like make it better. They're going to, they're just going to say, Oh, it's possible somewhere, so, someone somewhere will be offended by this, and you say, "Well, I think that's probably true about you know um, everything." Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, uh, consultants are—that's a huge thing now. Consultants, you know, yes. trans consultants yeah. and whatever, reading the work and going, "Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think so." Yeah. Well, we we do know that in a lot of writers' rooms for TV shows and stuff, that you know there has to be a diverse cast of voices there in order to cover all the bases if you you know if you're going to write an indigenous australian character that that you must have an indigenous person in the writer's room you know mm. regardless of their of their talent or their experience you know yeah well it's you know and i think that in the you sent me that article the lionel shriver article about her experiences at the brisbane writers festival yes, yeah. five years ago now i think a long time ago uh, where she gave her talk about uh, cultural appropriation, lived experience, and all of that, and then our, you know, uh, th- there was that um, Yasmin uh, Abdul Magid who got up and walked out uh, in a huff. Whatever happened to her? She's gone. She um, moved to the UK, I think. Yes. So yeah. she claims she was hounded out of Australia. Mm. Yeah. Hey, you've you've left out the most salacious part of that Lionel Shriver story and that she she gave that speech wearing a sombrero <laughs> yes she did <laughs> she didn't give a fuck so <laughs> so anyway she, her point was don't you dare tell me what to write 
Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. ultimately, you know, this is because writing is uh it's it's sort of it's the artist's business and no one else's. And you know, uh don't ask for permission and um don't self-censor, don't let the scolds tell you what's what, you know, write, create, do it with good intentions. Um, and and that's that because if you if you follow through the logic of of what's appropriate and what's not to write about, like it all falls apart because ultimately it is all make believe. And there's countless times in history where people have written outside their portfolio and it's been fine and we love it and it's something we never stop talking about. So you know what I mean? Like it's sort mm. of it's just we can try and be a bit more sensitive, but by and large, it I just feel like again you just need to come up with new publishing houses and stuff, I think, to get good work. Well, published. I think that there's always so many contradictions in these sorts of issues. And and one big one is that, you know, everyone, especially everyone in the West is crying out for more diverse representation in books, films, TV, you, you name it, you know. But yet, on the other hand, you're not allowed to write anything outside of your own direct social you know, economic, racial, or or gender situation. You know, so, 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 what what's the future? Like, do do you need to write everything by committee? You know, and that I think could potentially have disastrous effects. Like, like I know these three guys have got together and written uh, really successful novels. They're but- clearly friends, though. Well, they are, and they, and they, they all work in the same genre. They all work in the same, you know. They they have a background, and 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 they're they're obviously talented at what they do, and they're all professional writers, you know, before they came together. But you know, I think there's a reason why most novels are written by one one person, you know, and why most amazing novels, classic novels, are written by one person, you know, because I don't think the committee way. Uh, works and i know tv is a different deal like you often have writers rooms with 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 lots of people but i think the writers rooms that work really well are the ones that have really strong showrunners who you know they they have a team of writers helping them construct the shows uh and that's obviously uh, you know a time constraint thing as well like you just need to pump it out but but you have a showrunner who is essentially like the director of the script who has a really strong direction and a really strong authority over that over that writer's room so i think that's why that works in that particular case but you know i can't imagine that great novels can be written by teams of of, no. of diverse diverse people coming together you know I, no I just, it takes a singular vision to, to create infinite jest do you know what i mean like you mm-hmm. can't it, there's no there's and an editor you just need to you know a good editor and um and the author we don't need it to be yeah, I don't even know why why everyone, anyone's even talking about this. It should just be like, it's so ridiculous. It's such a, a misunderstanding of yeah the way things of the way art works, why we watch it, what we want, how we want it. Do you know what I mean? All yeah. in the pursuit of something which is noble, which is the idea of you know uh, undoing past wrongs by trying to give people a little more of a um, a platform and give people and not be so insensitive here and there. But why can't we do that in a way that's like? Um, not so fucking stupid and clunky. Yeah, Do you know yeah. what I mean. Why? Why well, are we this, taking this, this way? That- is impossible though. This way won't work because it will result. The end game will be there is no fiction and you can only write memoirs. You know, that's the thing. It's like th- this is just like so limiting. Like I don't understand why we've let publishing and and whatnot just be captured by such bores yeah like you know what i mean like fucking bores like you know i got this funny uh, you'll like this is a good indicator like this is from city journal and this this person who wrote this article they're just sort of talking about children's literature 
you know, coming to a library near you. This is for, uh, called The Very Intersectional Caterpillar uh, by Dave Seminara. So this is just to give you an insight of what is going on out in the publishing world. Mm. Recently, this is from a dad. Recently, I perused three emails from bookstores offering children's book recommendations from a national Indie Next program organized by the American Booksellers Association. Amid 93 new books, all published since May, I couldn't find one that would appeal to my boys. The choices include, included a feel-good contemporary romance about a young trans athlete fighting against the discriminatory, discriminatory law targeting trans athletes. <laughs> so direct. Um, <laughs> a book about a young lesbian with pansexual and non-binary friends who denounced her white privilege. <laughs> I couldn't even get that out. Sorry. A queer coming-of-age story about a young lesbian who joins the boys' football team. A young adult novel about gender fluidity by a non-binary writer who is the mother of a transgender child. A tale of self-discovery about a bisexual love triangle. A book about a transgender witch named Wyatt. And a fabulously joyful novel about drag, prom, and embracing your inner, inner queen that featured a fat, openly gay boy Stuck in a small West Texas town. <laughs> so what do you think of all that? How, how are these publishing houses making their money back on this? You know, I don't know. Well, the, these are obviously being sent to schools, so that's how, there's a real racket in getting your books in schools and on book lists and stuff. Of course, yeah, that's where the money's to be made. So that's right. But, but that that is, I think, and and it, that is probably the reason why you could see these Spanish guys changing their um their names. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, actually, they they, they needn't have bothered because they've got Spanish sounding names. So you know, there are some people who try and make a desperate plea that that that. Uh, you know, people of Hispanic or Spanish descent or whatever are just, you know, all a bunch of white people in in, in essentially. Yeah. Um, but they got uh, uh, exotic sounding names from certain perspectives, so yep. they could have stuck with that. Well, I, I think I think the female name helped them. You think so? No end. I think so. Yeah, I think it helped them to sell books. I suspect that that crime novelists are mostly male. But those big ones recently, Gillian Flynn and all of that, like the those sort of ones with girl in the title, you know? I don't know. This is something like like the bio, you know. I mean, just read the bio. It's a mother mother of what, three? Mother of three. Teaches who, algebra yes. and writes. Ultraviolent, macabre novels in scraps of free time in the afternoon. That's it. I mean, which is the, which is a story. That's a story in itself. It is, yeah, and it we like the idea of some, of a dark horse. We like the idea of a of a you know uh, someone a, a woman living a double life or something. Um, and I guess maybe that added an edge to it. People will like. And there is a there is a tradition of um of of uh, of good of really great female crime writers, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. This is this but there's is, also a history of, of female writers taking male pseudonyms. You know. That yes, that's true. Um, I think Charlotte Bronte did that initially. Mm. Memory serves. So it's uh, yeah. Look, I I feel like you you do get the sense that in the modern context, these guys did try and um, sidestep the obvious question, which would have been, you know, don't you guys know that you're males and that how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they just sort of they just went, ah, oh, fuck it. Like let's just let's just you know. Yeah. Well, I think I, Tootsie. Say we're a chick. 
<laughs> well, I don't mind because, you know, they're on their hustle. You know, I know what it's like. You know what it's like to be in your hustle and try and get shit off the ground. And you do uh, everything you can within reason to to sell yourself and to, to, to make things a success. And uh, and and why not? You know, if, if the end result is a good book, then it worked, you know. Yeah, maybe that's it's it's a it's a tricky one though. No, but like, the, the, but there have been cases where, like, there was that guy who got unmasked on. Oh, no, it was because his story was made up. That's different. Like, there was a guy who was unmasked on Oprah. He he'd written a book that was not true or something. And, right, and, and that was a, that's a different thing. Whereas people's outrage about this, I guess, would be that they're taking something away from him. But they haven't though. The the the, the, yeah. the prize is available to everyone. Um, it's about good work. That's what we want. Like. People are complicating all of this. Mm. Um, just write good work. Uh, let's reward the best work. Let's not make it a charity. Um, it doesn't cost any money to write a book. It doesn't. So just, you know, write it. It's hard. It's, hard. it's always going to be hard. It's not easy for anyone. Um, you know, so we we shouldn't be thinking about, um, you know, uh, the who really about who's written it. Not really. Mm. I mean, we do all get involved in that, but you know, it shouldn't matter whether it was a dude or, or not. If the work is good, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as a bit of a side issue, we've seen you know recent discussions about actors and whether they should have the right to play a gay character if they're not gay, or a disabled character if they're not disabled. And there is a big push uh, for uh, for representation in. Uh, in film and TV to be that literal where you have a disabled character and that person is a disabled character in life, which um, sort of goes against the whole idea of what, what an actor does, which is, you know, play some a character that they're not, you know. Yeah, I know. But, you know, if you... It- if you want to be Hannibal Lecter, you better be Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be Jason Voorhees, you better have killed thirty five hot chicks. You know? Absolutely. That's all. That's the <laughs> that's the only way thing for it. Like you know, like if you're not the exact thing like on the screen, then yeah. I don't want to know about it. So you know the rules. Don't break them. Yeah. That. But that's that's such a ludicrous argument, isn't it? I mean, this whole thing is such a ludicrous argument well it is silly but but as i i'm always fascinated as to how it's not shut down like i don't understand yes, like yeah like we people write about it we read it um like people at companies enact uh you know policies about it like it seems like i'm just so always so confused as to how any of these things like you know with that scarlett johansson thing a while ago well i guess it's a little different that is again um for Ghost in the Shell, then again, it was a big Hollywood movie. There are no Japanese actors that are as big as Scarlett Johansson. I think they love her in Japan anyway. But casting, casting a big, big movie like that is is always a marketing exercise. You yeah, know, I mean, you right. need a big bankable actor, a that, big Hollywood star that the name alone will bring them in. That's right. Know? To justify the paycheck of, 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 of like of the of the cost of the whole goddamn movie. Yes, that's you need right. Scarlett Johansson. Do you know yeah. what I mean? There's not that many people who can who can command that type of budget. Mm. But that movie got slammed for being whitewashed and whatever. So I, I just feel like I mean it's a slightly different thing. But but generally speaking, a lot of this is very tiresome, and I don't understand why there's why people don't push back. They just cave. They just go, oh yes, I'm not going to play that role. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Or yes, you're too right. You're right. And it's like no, stand your ground. Say I'm doing it. 
Say don't watch it. Say don't watch it. Simple. So does that mean, does that mean I can write some gangster rap now? Uh, you could. You could. Um, but you're going to have to um, go and pop a cap in someone's butt. And <laughs> then you can speak it from a place of truth. Your truth. Uh, Excellent. I'll go out and buy a gun when uh, retail opens up here in Melbourne. <laughs> Outside retail then. Only. Yes. So I have to buy it from some guy in the street, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, Ricky, another good show. Next week, we have our Spooktacular continues on, on uh, Wednesday for Cyber Cinema. We've got Friday night, so do your homework. And um, Thursday, well, anything happens on a Thursday, right? Or, or a Friday, take Or a Friday. Is it, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, not to pull back the curtain too far, but we, we record these shows on Thursdays. Oh, they, they air on Fridays. Don't tell them that. Okay, I can always cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, well, we said what we said. Until next time, long live the new flesh. Long live the new flesh. A female hippo. (laughs) 